peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so once again, we come to the conclusion of the biggest children's ministry of the year here at uh, St. Andrew. As another great vacation Bible school enters the history books with our thanks to our director and all of our crew leaders and with our love and our prayers for the kids who came that uh, by God's grace they might have had a good taste of what it's like for the message of Christ to come to life for them in a church that's uh, a great place to be, all for the glory of God in the midst of all their experiences in life. As uh, you already know, our theme for this year was Cave Quest, uh, where the kids of Vacation Bible School got their snacks from the Cavern Cafe, and they went on a, a deep cave quest uh, where they talked about how Jesus is the light of the world who shines through the darkness of the cave-like wellspring center, which creeped me out, and uh, <laughs> hopefully some of the kids too. They went out and they played games outside. They cooled off at the Imagination Station. They sang great songs here in the sanctuary, and I can still hear their little voices being lifted up. And every day... Uh, there was a key passage for them and characters like Radar the Bat who reminded us that Jesus can see the way even when we can't see the way and that the direction that he gives can make a difference in absolutely everything. And so all in all, it was a great week to experience all those things and a whole lot more in ways that were surprisingly creative and absolutely unforgettable all for the glory of God. But before we roll the credits on Cave Quest 2016, there is one more key passage for us to consider today, and it's the one you heard about a man who literally hides in a cave because he is on the run. And if you've ever had an experience in your life that made you want to do that, whether or not it was a cave or some other sort of hiding place, this may be your key passage for today, even if you didn't make it to Bible school. Man's name, of course, is Elijah. He is uh, a prophet of God who lived in the ninth century B.C., and uh, he has dedicated his entire life to proclaiming the message of God to the children of Israel, which is good. However, during his prophetic ministry, Elijah finds himself in conflict with the prophets of a false god, whose name in Hebrew to the Canaanites was Baal or Baal to us, which was bad. And so Elijah the prophet goes to the king, whose name is Ahab, who was a follower of Baal, and he tries to convince the king to reject Baal and to trust in the Lord, which is good. But Ahab the king, the Baal follower, refuses, and he sends Elijah away, and that's bad. And so without diplomatic or political options left to him, Elijah goes head-to-head with the prophets of Baal, and he defeats them resoundingly, Uh, which he thought was good until King Ahab's wife, whose name was Jezebel, becomes so furious that she takes a vow to have Elijah hunted down and killed. And that's bad. So bad that Elijah the prophet flees into the desert. And he hides under a broom tree, which was basically an overgrown desert shrub that you can actually disappear in uh, if it's big enough. And where Elijah realizes that if he stays on the run in the desert, he dies. But if he goes back and faces Jezebel, he also dies. And so Elijah the prophet gets to a point in his life where he wants to die. Because he's isolated, 
He's alone. He's on the run. His ministry has backfired. His life has completely fallen apart. And still the children of Israel have not returned to Yahweh, even though Elijah's name in Hebrew literally means, my God is Yahweh. And so with that, Elijah falls asleep under the broom tree until a messenger of God comes along and touches him and says, Elijah, get up and eat, because otherwise your journey will be too much for you, which of course is my favorite verse in the entire passage. And so with that, Elijah gets up and he eats, and his journey goes on. It takes him southward to his next location, which was Mount Horeb, better known to most of us as Mount Sinai. And there he finds a cave, and he hides in that cave. Until some amazing things begin to happen that draw him out of that dark place. As you heard, first there was this mighty violent wind. But Elijah discerns that God was not really in the wind. And then there's an earthquake, uh, but Elijah senses that God is not in the earthquake either. And then finally, there's a fire, but God isn't in the fire either. Otherwise, I would have entitled my message, Earth, Wind, and Fire. (laughs) But Elijah does finally meet God, not in the earth, wind, or fire but in what some translations of the scripture refer to as a gentle whisper, our translation calls the sound of silence, made popular by Simon and Garfunkel in 1964. But it causes Elijah to shift away from that overwhelming sense of loss and defeat. It refocuses his attention away from the devastating events that have taken place around him, and out of the silence, this great prophet of God hears the voice of God speaking to him, telling him that King Ahab would be replaced by another king, and that the the Baal worshiper would be out of power soon enough, and that even he, Elijah, would be succeeded by another prophet who would carry on his ministry so that it wouldn't be in vain. And with that voice and that word of promise, Elijah, the cave dweller, begins to come out of his dark place. He comes out of the cave and he gets back in the game because his focus is no longer on the earth, wind, or fire. It is on the voice of God for his life. And that was the message that we were here to get across to the children of Cave Quest at Vacation Bible School this week. And maybe it's also the message that you need to hear today, or at least for those times when you feel like your plans have backfired and your life has fallen apart and, you know, wheels are just coming off the whole thing. And you feel like you just want to run and hide somewhere until the Spirit of God comes and touches you and says, no, get up and eat. Otherwise, your journey will be too much for you. Listen to my voice. Key on my words, because they will bring you comfort 
and blessing and hope and purpose for your life even during your times of loss and defeat. As uh, you basketball fans know, uh, last week the Cleveland Cavaliers became for the first time champions of the entire NBA and uh, that means among other things that I will be going to bed a little earlier this week uh, and because my wife is a native of uh, Cleveland, I am thrilled for the Cavaliers' victory because I know it's good for me. <laughs> and yet in the aftermath of that uh, great uh, victory in uh, Game 7 of that amazing series, I read something that Steph Curry, a member of the opposing, losing Golden State Warriors and uh, one of the best, if not the best, shooter in NBA history, tweeted to his fans. In the aftermath of the defeat, Steph Curry said, being a Christian athlete is not about praying that you will win the game. It's about giving God the glory, whatever the outcome because you trust in God's plan for your life. And that brings me to some of the other lessons that come from the story of our cave dweller in 1 Kings 19, like, you know, the lesson uh, that even people of great faith can suffer great defeat and great loss, but that God can use even moments like that to produce a witness and two great things through ordinary people like you and me. Or the lesson that doing the faithful thing isn't always doing the easy thing. And you maybe even be met by opposition from the world around you. And there's plenty of it out there. But when you shift your focus from the devastating losses of life that are way worse than losing a basketball game, and you listen to the voice of God, you will be able to look at everything, including your losses and your defeats, in a completely different way. That's what Steph Curry, I believe, was saying when he tweeted out to his fans. And it applies not just to Christian athletes, it applies to a Christian anything. And by the way, uh, I also read in the aftermath of the Cavalier victory over the uh, Golden State Warriors that uh, one of Steph Curry's teammates, a uh, point guard by the name of Sean Livingston, happens to be Lutheran. <laughs> and in the aftermath of their loss, Sean Livingston donated $1 million to the Lutheran school that he attended as a boy in Peoria, Illinois, Trinity Lutheran Church. Just thought I'd add that in. <laughs> Bad. Well, there is one question, you know, that always bothered me about this passage uh, from 1 King 19. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or if it ever bothered you, but, you know, why wasn't God in the wind? Why wasn't he in the earthquake? Why wasn't he in the fire when God was actually in all of those places when he appeared to Moses on that very same mountain back in Exodus 19? Why was God in the wind and in the fire in the book of Acts? When the Holy Spirit of Jesus came down on Jerusalem and the church was born, but he wasn't in the wind and he wasn't in the fire in 1 Kings 19. What, what's up with that? Well, friends, what's up with that? And the answer is that 
Yahweh knows exactly what he's doing. Because it turns out that that false god, Baal, who I mentioned earlier, was believed to be the god of the weather who controlled the forces of nature. And so the followers of Baal believed that the movement of the earth and wind and fire were signs that Baal was present. In fact, you know, one of the most popular images of Baal depicts him, you know, holding onto a bolt of lightning, you know, ready to throw it down onto the earth. Which is to say that in this context, Yahweh was not about to associate himself even remotely with some phony God. Yahweh sends a different message to Elijah that he probably got long before I ever initially figured it out. And that is the message that your God can be found, but not in the man-made idols of this world. But he can be found and he can be heard when you put a stop to the noise and you put down the idols and you adjust your focus and in that sheer silence you begin to listen to his voice and when you do, what you will hear is blessing and promise and hope for all your life fulfilled in that light of the world made flesh Jesus, who comes into this world, into your life, and says to you and me, my peace is with you, because I am with you, wherever you are, wherever you go, come what may. And so I would have to admit to you uh, that this uh, church was everything but silent last week. (laughs) As the voices of, you know, hundreds of kids, you know, rock the house from top to bottom. But I can also assure you of this, the message of God got through about the light of the world shining through the darkness to make everything different for the children of God who responded by shouting at the top of their lungs, follow him. And so with my thanks uh, to all of those who are part of the Cave Quest, I invite and welcome you today to get up and eat, because otherwise your journey will be too much for you. I invite you to come out of your dark place into the glory and the light of God, to put down the idols, to shift your focus, to listen to the sound of his voice bringing blessing and life to all the children of God because our God is Yahweh and because Yahweh's Son is with us to the very end of the age, come what may, for all eternity. And now we can roll the credits on Cave Quest, giving all the credit and all the glory to God.